Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lights come on, the priests come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast, powered by the State of Louisville Network. Welcome back in for the final episode of our four part series reviewing the 2020 Louisville football season. We'll actually look ahead in this episode to 2021. Uh, I'm Jacob Lane, joined by Matt McGavick, as always. Matt, how are you today on this beautiful, snowy day? I'm cold. Cold is what I am. It was That's correct. 21 degrees, I think, was the low this morning. Taking my dog out was miserable, just just trying to get him to go use the bath. And just, just uh, My hands are still frozen. <laughs> Oh, that's great stuff. It's uh, While you're listening to this, if you aren't aware, which I hope that you are aware, we've also got an interview with Coach Pete Thomas in which the middle of Matt's dog decided to make an appearance. He wanted to ask his question, uh, So, but Maynard is welcome anytime. Maynard on the podcast, man. <laughs> we've got a great episode in store. We're going to uh, look at special teams for a little bit. I know that's not as attractive as talking the offense or defense, but it's extremely important. Yeah. And There's three the faces full... of the game. You can't talk about the compl- uh, totality of football without at Bingo. some point mentioning special teams. Like you, you, It has to be a discussion at some point. You can't just casually sweep that under the rug. And here's a little sneak peek preview for you. It's not good. I'll tell you that there's, there's some promise in there for next season as we move ahead, but uh, 2020 special teams was not good. Uh, But if you're not aware, if this is your first time listening to the show, Jacob Blaine and Matt McGavick, as I said, to, to launch the show off, we are in the middle of a four part series where we've just looked at each unit or each phase of the, as Matt said, of the uh, Louisville football program from 2020 with a deep statistical dive. We've also had now had the the pleasure of doing a round table with the career journals, Cameron Teague, and the uh, Card Chronicle, Keith Wynn, both guys who are absolute football experts. And um, this has been a, a lot of fun and very revealing to me um, in, in terms of telling a bigger story than just what we saw out there week to week. But like we mentioned, let's talk about special teams for a little bit. Um, last season was definitely not ideal with special teams. I think that uh, if you talk to Scott Satterfield, he would tell you this was an area that uh, he was really unhappy with. I do think that. Um, and Matt, you have done us the pleasure here of, of going through some stats. And I don't, I don't want to spend a bunch of time on all of these because, quite frankly, I, I don't think most people would understand, would care to understand. I don't even understand. Let me be perfectly honest with you on some of the, the numbers here. But um, why don't you give us just an idea of what the snapshot at the 30,000-foot aerial view looked like in 2020? So basically when it comes to playing, and we'll, we'll get to the, the good side of special teams. We'll, 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 get, we'll get to talking about James Turner in a second, but at first we got to talk about the punting. punting. Punting for Louisville, bluntly, was not good. I mean, most fans, you don't, you, we don't need to go into a deep statistical dive to tell you guys that you can just see the product on the field. And uh, mo- for most punters, a good benchmark is how many punts you can uh, pin inside the 20-yard line to pin the other team starting their drives. And if you can get a punt, go over 50 yards. I mean, depending on no matter what part of the field you're on, if you can boom one over 50 yards, more often than not, you're putting your, your opponent in a bigger disadvantage than you normally would. So just as a brief snapshot, uh, out of Louisville's 37 total punts, for it, let me just stop right there. It's it, only 37 punts. It, it, it seems like it should be higher for a team with a four and seven record, but considering how boom or bust their offense was between touchdowns and turnovers, that, that kind of explains it there. But anyways, out of their 37 total punts, only 12 of them were pinned inside the 20, which was just a little under one third. And then out of the, out of the, those 37 punts, only six of them went beyond 50 yards. So that, and that just good for 16.2%. I mean, I, I, I get that like, a lot of the punters were still young, but they we had two walk-ons. So, I mean, it's, it's not like you're rolling out a five-star punter if those even exist, but it, it, it wasn't good. And in fact, the field position battle more often than not, 
Louisville did not win. And some games, the field position battle was just glaringly obvious in favor of the other team. In fact, Louisville's average field position uh, margin was negative 6.9 yards, which meaning by that is that over the course of the year, by average, Louisville's opponents had a better their drives were seven yards better than what Louisville's were. Like, for example, in that first game against WKU, their average, the Hilltoppers' average drive started on the 41, whereas for Louisville, their average drives are on the 22. So just take up all the averages from there, and then you will wind up with an average field position margin of losing seven yards. In fact, Louisville only won the field position battle in three games. Notre Dame, oddly, oddly enough, Syracuse, which, I mean, that explains it there. I mean, Syracuse is not a good football team. And then to end the season versus Wake Forest. In fact, Louisville lost the field position battle by double digits in five games. Western, obviously, Miami, Virginia Tech, UVA, and Boston College. And there were six games where the opposing field, the opponent's average field position was beyond the 35-yard line. I mean, that, that's not winning football right there. I mean, I don't care what kind of offense, explosive offense you've had. I don't care what kind of what kind of stout defense you have. If you're letting your opponent get to damn near midfield. It's a bona fide turnover is what it is. It's a bona fide turnover. You're essentially gifting to your opponent yards and possession and just completely shooting yourself in the foot. And I can't tell you how many games we walked away from where Louisville fans were complaining about the offense or the defense. And I, I just can't get over the fact that special teams, they started every drive at the 45 yard line, like, you know, in terms of Louisville giving that up. Um, and there were only a few games this season where I, I, I really noticed special teams. And typically it was when it was bad, right? The Western Kentucky mm-hmm. game. I had a feeling that first punt, it was right in it, like on the two or three yard line. I just had a feeling something was going to go wrong there. Um, and then it just never got better. They switched punters. Harwell did better. He didn't turn the football over like Logan Lupo did early. Um, but the, the games where I noticed it, as I said, were typically pretty bad. But towards the end of the season, I saw some light at the end of the tunnel as the young guys started to get on the field on special teams, specifically Jordan Watkins, uh, Marvin Dallas. These guys were hard hitters. And KJ Cloyd was another one that made plays um, for the kickoff team. And that was something that really stood out to me because of just the speed and how uh, quickly they were able to kind of get down there. Now, on the other side of things, um, on the on the punt team, I I couldn't still to this point tell you why Rajay Burns is return, returning punts. Now, I, you want to talk about the position battle that you're kind of setting yourself back there when you have a guy who plays linebacker returning punts because there's really not going to be any opportunity for anything other than a fair catch, right? I mean, did right. we see any opportunities last year where he was able to return the ball? I think he maybe had, you know, a handful of returns. In, in 2019, he had a couple of decent returns. So I can understand the logic behind wanting to put him there, but I, I, it's, it's, it's very rare to see a linebacker inside, outside, money backer, card dog. Doesn't matter what linebacker position you you play. It, Are it's those real off- things? Did you name any linebacker positions? Or are you just saying words? No, card and dog. Well, is I know what, card, but what's a dog linebacker? What's a what? You what was the other two that you said? Money backer. It's money back. I've never heard of that. I don't it's think a linebacker. It's a no. It's a linebacker safety hybrid. Okay, what, I thought that's that was called. Benjamin, a, it's what Benjamin Perry is. I thought that was called a star. That's what Joshua Harvey Clinton I've, was, right? Is I've, that not what that is? No, I'm, it's just, it's the same thing. But okay. I always right. call it the money backer. All right, let's let's continue. Anyways, I apologize. That's a great tomatoes. lesson of football for Matt. <laughs> But anyways, like let's 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 just kind of curtail the punting talk because there were some good there were some good things that happened on special teams too. I mean, it turns out that Louisville got a, a diamond in the rough with James Turner, a walk on punter, oh not punter, walk on kicker, who you know put his name up there with some uh, good company in terms of uh, previous Louisville kickers. I know star, he's a star. Is it star? Oh no 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 no, he's a star. Oh he's he, he oh. is a star. <laughs> This kid, going this back kid, to the linebacker no, discussion. I'm still at the end of the show. I want to circle back to that and, and just determine all the variations of linebackers. But <laughs> no, I, I think he's a star, man. I mean, his numbers 40 for 40 on extra points. That's mm-hmm. about as good as it gets, obviously, 100%. Um, and then to only miss two field goals on the season, uh, both of which were 50 yards or more. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I, I, it doesn't get much better than that. It would have been great had Louisville been able to given him more opportunities yeah. maybe to, to kick field goals rather than shooting themselves in the foot with turnovers and uh, bad plays. But yeah, and Louisville's also in a good spot. Look, here, let me, before you jump on to the next thing, Louisville has been very fortunate over the last decade, decade plus, going all the way back to Art Carmody to have a kicker mm-hmm. emerge as a freshman and then be there for three or four more years. Yeah, uh, and, and they've gotten that here with James Turner. Yeah, and off the top of your head, if can you name uh, the two kickers in Louisville history to have more made extra point attempts without a miss? There's two in front of James Turner. How recent? 
it's, it's recent enough. Okay. All right. I'm going to go blatant creaky. Nope. He's no. below him. Okay. Uh, I was going to say Josh Appleby, but he was a punter. Um, uh, you, you just Art, named one of them. Art Carmody? Art Carmody's got Okay. And then the Art other Carmody's one's got to be, gosh, who's the other kicker that was here for nine years? I can't, I can't think of who it is. You're, you're um, in the right department. You're in the right yeah, area. Just what's his name? name? What's his name? John Wallace. That's right. John Wallace. Going to drive me crazy not being able to think of that. Yeah, that's a good place to be, you know, quite frankly, when I know that nobody wants to talk about kicking, but if you're like kind of ranking Louisville's top players on the season, I mean, you can't get to the top seven or eight without including Turner. I mean, I know that sounds crazy. He only kicked 40 extra points, only kicked field goal, 15 field goals, but like the dude was as automatic as they came. There was nobody on the team who was more consistent than him, if we're being quite honest. Uh, But he was a kicker, so nobody cares. Also, shout out to Mitch Hall. It feels like he's been here for 30 years. Uh, and I think he's back for another season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he, he's back. on the roster. I'm pretty sure. Man, that long snapper position, the, the transition from Colin Holba to uh, to Mitch Hall, fantastic, fantastic. There's probably another one in there in the middle, but in, either way, those are the two long snappers. Punters are people too. That's They're yeah, right. Give the special teams that people love too. <laughs> exactly. Uh, in terms of next season, the big things that I want to see on special teams because we obviously won't spend too much time on this, but I want to see a dynamic punt returner. I want to see somebody back there who gives you a chance to score, whether that's uh, Mari Bruce Huggins, whether that's um, Jordan Watkins, whether that's Nick Melito. I don't. I really don't care who it is. Uh, but somebody back here that's not just there to catch the ball and call a fair catch. I would like to see them try to get some um, added yards on punt returns. And then the other thing is. Um, I, I want to see more of what we saw at the end of the season. Whoever the guys were playing special teams at the end of 2020, make them play special teams again this year because mm-hmm. they were fast. They hit really hard. I mean, how many times were was the game like seven to three, and then all of a sudden you look up and you hear the crackling of shoulder pads, and Louisville just laid somebody out, and you hear you know the 30 or the 60, 70 players on the sidelines going nuts, and that's like the only thing in the building. Um, like I, I want to see more of that. I want to see more getting the speed guys out there and making plays on special teams and not just looking at it as a, which I don't think Stu Holt or Scott Satterfield does, but the special teams can't be overlooked. Like you said, it's the third phase in football. If they roll out there with just kind of like that, we're just going to get better over time without taking corrective actions to improve. We're going to have another long year of special teams. And you're talking about next season, you know, if they, if they perform like that again, you're talking about next season, maybe having to make a move or, you know, making some drastic changes on in the special teams. Right, and like you were saying, like, yeah, you need someone to be a little bit more electric from returning punts so that you're not just calling fair catches. But like you said, you, you've got to have some people be, to be the upfront men to throw down blocks. And Louisville, Louisville was pretty good at that towards the, end, towards the end of the season. If Whether they continue that momentum into 2021, that's it's yet to be seen. But I, I liked what I saw to end the season, and I have no reason to think that it won't get better heading into, heading into the new season. I also got to say before we move on, shout out to uh, to Barry's Peterson for the 29 yard run. The big fella can move, man. That was a nice run. Like I and I would be willing to bet that I would need Kelly Dickey, the stat extraordinaire, to tell me this to be true. But that's got to be the most yards a defensive player has ever gained on offense um, for Louisville. Right. I mean, unless they put somebody who's a two-way player in the maybe a two-way player in like the 70s, 80s, 90s, or whatever. But like this, this is that was a 30-yard run. Well, you know, those aren't easy to come by. And your big defensive end just made that play. He should have been nominated for the Piesman for that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on and let's start looking ahead to 2021. Um, a lot has really gone down with Louisville football since we've started this this series here. We've been in this now for about four weeks from coaching hires to transfers to players leaving to signing classes. Um, there is a lot to kind of break down here and discuss. I, again, I don't think it's worth going into the nitty gritty. Be sure to check out the interview with Pete Thomas. Uh, that was a, a great insight into what it's like moving up in the coaching ladder. Also, the arena football story is fantastic. Um, <laughs> but they've made several coaching hires. And at this point, while we're recording this show, the offensive line slash OC position has still not been filled, but at this point they have hired uh, Pete Thomas to replace Frank Ponce who left for Appalachian state to be the offensive coordinator, uh, as well as Darrell Sims to replace Norvell McKenzie who left for Vanderbilt. Um, obviously Dwayne Ledford is the biggest loss of the coaching staff. Um, we don't know who's going to take that role. There's a, I wrote a piece for the state of Louisville kind of looking at some of the rumored guys and where they fit in and, um, I, I would say that that's worth, that worth checking out if you're interested. But, Matt, what just general coaching hires, um, tell me where you stand with everything. I know a lot of the fans have been really worried about Scott Satterfield just, um, you know, kind of hiring from that coaching tree of his. Um, obviously, they promote from within with Coach Thomas. They go out and get a, a guy who 
And Darrell Sims, who coached in the Carolinas, knows that area pretty well. We understand how important that is to the staff. Um, but just general thoughts on losing Ledford and what you expect moving forward. I mean, it, it obviously it hurts to lose someone like him. I mean, he was one of the figureheads in the offensive room. I mean, we, we all know what he did for the offensive linemen with the band of brothers and whatnot. So it, it's obviously going to be a huge loss losing that huge chunk of camaraderie. But um, I have no doubt that whoever Satterfield brings in next, especially if um, – the some of the rumored guys that he's looking at uh if he hires one of them one of them i like more than the other but we can talk about that in a moment but um as far as the hires that came in i mean once you peel back the layers i know some fans at at a uh, first glance they're not entirely too happy about the hires I mean, they promote with, with him to for Pete thomas they go out and get uh darrell sims and a lot of people when they look at the sims hire they think oh why is he going to get someone in like in the Sun Belt or one of those g5 power conferences and then for the qb coach hires why are they not going out to go find someone and why they just simply promote it within. But when you peel back the layers, they're, they're, they're good hires. They're good sound hires. Are they home runs? I mean, that's yet to be seen. I don't want to call them bust. I don't want to call them home runs, but they're good hires uh, with Thomas. I'll start with him since we just talked to him. Um, when it comes to de- helping Malik Cunningham try try and overcome some of his struggles in 2020, having uh, coach Thomas to work with him, someone who's been with the program as a G as a, uh, quality control coach for uh, two years uh, that'll just make things easier for Malik it'll make him more comfortable with Thomas and Thomas knows him so it'll make things more comfortable with him so that gives Malik and I would say probably a better chance to have a, a bounce back year and for uh, for Sims I mean when you look at some of the the stats he did he compiled with his crew down at ECU I mean he uh, he brought in a, a freshman uh, Rajay Harris who was I believe um, the uh, AAC rookie of the year, I believe he was, and yeah, he had um, some kind of distinct honors from the from the conference. Yeah, he he, he was that. a first team of uh, honoree for the conference. I can't remember if he was rookie, but he ended up with six hundred some odd yards. He actually had the most uh, the most rushing yards by an ECU true freshman in history, and he, he actually broke Chris Johnson's record. That Chris Johnson, CJ two K. So when you break someone, when, when you break a record held by someone who at one point in time was the fastest player in the NFL. It, it kind of turns some eyebrows there. And right. plus, and not I think- only that, but I mean, it, the, one of the other things about him as the running backs coach is when he got there, they had their, I don't remember if it was in his first or second season, but they had their most successful rushing history of rushing performance in, you know, since so many years ago. And that includes that stretch when Chris Johnson was at East Carolina, the guy was a second round pick. So obviously you're talking about that offense back then being able to put up big numbers. That says a lot. It really does. And to me, the most important stat, ECU's running backs only fumbled three times last year. So obviously with as big of an issue as turnovers have been, we've talked about it ad nauseum over and over. I know we have, but I mean, that's what it was in 2020. So it is what it is. So someone who has the uh, acumen of having his group of running backs to not cough up the ball, honestly, that's the, that's probably the best thing you, you want for a running backs coach right now, given the nature, given the state of uh, Louisville football and their valuing of the football. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And the one thing I'll say about Coach Thomas is I really like the idea of of having a guy who knows your quarterback. Malik's been here now for um, at, for at Louisville for what five years, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, Coach Thomas has been here within the last two, so you're talking about a guy who knows what makes him tick. What you know, what he is like on the practice field and the meeting rooms. Um, he's going from being a guy who's just kind of assisted, like he told us in the interview now, uh, to to running his own quarterback room. And I really like that when you have so much on the line with your quarterback that you have a guy who's elevating into a new role who knows him and who can really kind of, um, like I said, just more than just football, but personality wise can kind of click on a, a different level. And I assume they don't make that higher if that's not something that's there. You know, if, if coach right. Thomas and Malik didn't have a great relationship, maybe that, that hire goes a little different, but I would tend to say that that does mean that they have a good relationship. And so I like that hire now for the offensive line, offensive coordinator position, assuming that they keep it as one job and they don't break it up and make two hires. Um, I really like the idea of bringing in Alex Mirabal from Oregon. I love the fact that him and Satterfield have a connection having worked at FIU together. Uh, Mirabal has, has worked for Mario Cristobal for a long time, um, dating back to FIU and at Oregon. And Mario Cristobal is considered to be one of the top offensive line minds in college football. That to me screams already like, yeah, let's do that. And then when you talk about the recruiting chops of this kid, uh, this, this coach being able to recruit four and five star guys is one of the top recruiters in the country. That is a home run hire. The offensive coordinator title means nothing on this staff because we all know that that Sat is 
the offensive coordinator. He is the play caller. Um, but for Mirabal, he would be taking a step up from because way that I see it, he's he only coaches two or three positions, essentially the interior of Oregon's offensive line right now. Um, so he would be, you know, people would say, why would he want to come to Louisville? Well, there's a potential raise opportunity. There's more, you know, coaching opportunity to take over a full offensive line. Uh, but this is a guy who, uh, you know, the reviews out there are pretty, uh, pretty, pretty well uh, liked guy. And I think he'd be a huge hire for Sat. I really do. Absolutely. And, you know, I said previously the two hires with Thomas and Sims, I, I call them good hires, mm-hmm. borderline great, not home runs just yet. Obviously, you want to see how, how that pans out. But if, if Satterfield does hire Mirabal, I would I would call that a home run hire, because like you said, well, he's a proven recruiter. I believe the stat that I saw said that he was the second best recruiter in the Pac-12, which there, there's some there's some good uh, talent on the West Coast, especially on the offensive line with uh, some of those. uh West Coast and Samoan guys that uh, some of those like USC right. and there's and a ton like of prep recruit. schools out in California, you know, where they actually like big, big, big time football programs. Yeah. And not only that, he's he's a great offensive coach on top of that. I know in uh, Oregon's 2019 year, the year they won the Pac-12 and uh, went to the Rose Bowl, uh, their offensive line uh, was one of the four finalists for the Joe Moore Award, which for fans that don't know, that's the award that goes out to the, the nation's top offensive line, not offensive line men, not individual, uh, top offensive line period yeah so that on top of being a good keep uh good o-line coach good recruiter if if Satterfield brings a mirror ball sign me up yeah and, money. and you go back and you look at the NFL draft the last couple of years and you look at where Oregon has had guys drafted uh, uh, Shane Lemieux was an offensive guard was drafted in the third or fourth round there was a, a center who was drafted there so those are guys that Mirabal was responsible for coaching now I know he's an offensive line coach uh, and he won't get credit because of his his positions that he's in charge of. But Panay Sewell is going to be a top three, four pick in this draft, widely considered to be a you know once in a generation type talent in terms of offensive tackle. Um, and so that you know it's just all that stuff that kind of makes that a big hire. Um, I, I do think though, to, before we move on here, that Sat has to be really careful with his hire here because um, if he misses on a couple of big name coaches and then goes out and gets a guy from Georgia Southern or from Illinois State, I just think that Louisville's fan base is going to have a really hard time swallowing that. And um, I, I don't buy into that these coaches are leaving because they see the writing on the wall. I think that each one got an opportunity right. that's better than the opportunity they have now. And anyone who says that they wouldn't leave for a better opportunity is damn full of themselves. Yeah, I, and, and- it's just here's, the way that it goes. Here's I want to get on my soapbox just for a brief moment because I've seen a lot of fans say that oh uh, Louisville is going downhill because coaches are leaving. They 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 know what's going on. Yada yada yada. I mean, when you look at uh, where these coaches are going and. It, it makes sense. Not only does it make sense, like it's not a lateral move for the most part. It's an improvement, it, but the, the the moves themselves make sense. Let's go to uh, Coach McKenzie. Yeah, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's not exactly a power sec school but the man played for the commodores i mean i i my use me an example i wrote for georgia tech when i got the opportunity to come home and write for louisville i ate that up because i wanted to come home and then when you look at um frank Ponce, he previously coached at app state and going from qb coach to offensive coordinator that's a clear uh promotion right there that's that's not a lateral move at all that's i think most coaches in football would take that kind of job and then when you look at uh Dwayne Ledford yeah I mean the end the NFL is the NFL it speaks right. for itself and we've known we've known since day one that eventually Ledford might take an NFL job because he's been an NFL guy since since day one he played in the league he's been around NFL guys and plus this particular move he um he actually coached the now uh coach the Falcons he was there uh, he was a graduate assistant at North Carolina uh, the one year he was there, yeah. uh, Arthur Smith was a senior on that offensive line. So That's there's crazy. a connection there. It's, right, and the connection goes connection goes a little bit deeper here locally because uh, are you aware of who uh, uh, Dwayne Ledford's boss is now? Are Dave you aware? Ragone. Dave Ragone, right. That's a name that most fans here will know instantly. The It was the passing game coordinator in Chicago, took over as the – Uh, Atlanta Falcons offensive coordinator so um, and that goes even further to just kind of show the connection right and fit like Dwayne Ledford I don't know if you saw but Mike Golick Jr. tweeted out like miss this hire wow what a big like what a big hire for Atlanta like he is so well respected in the offensive line community uh, that you're right it was just a matter of time before he got an opportunity to go and I would not be surprised if he's an NFL head coach someday I really would not like straight up that guy is incredible he's incredible Um, and so yeah I don't think anyone 
would 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 be willing to or would go on the line to say that they wouldn't jump for that opportunity like you can't you can't blame them and it doesn't mean that the the boat is sinking or that the coaching staff is not trusting sad or that shady stuff is like that's not no it's just life people want opportunities to move up the ladder just like coach thomas wants opportunities to move up the ladder just like coach Darrell sims does everyone wants the opportunity to move to the next spot to earn more that's that's college football the coach the coaching carousel in college football operates 24 7 365 it's always moving I mean, it's it's uh, Louisville was lucky last season to only lose one assistant coach. I yeah, mean, that's, that's just how you're it is. exactly right. Right. And sad, the thing was originally Satterfield, I, I remember hearing, you know, that he had asked his guys for two, give me two seasons to get this thing kind of going. And then, you know, I'll help whatever the case is. I hope you get the next job, whatever. And that's clearly what's happening. Guys got opportunities. They all got promotions um, or took jobs that, at places that just meant more to them. You know, in the case of McKenzie, and you can't be mad at that. Uh, let's talk about the additions and subtractions on the offense. When you're talking about Louisville's offense, uh, you cannot go, you know, even a few words without mentioning the production of Tutu Atwell, Des Fitzpatrick, JV and Hawkins. They're going to be losing a little bit north of 1,700 yards in offensive production from last year from those three guys. Um, and that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. But these guys, I think we all have to consider, have been, they're not. Satterfield recruited players. They are, you know, they're holdovers from the Bobby Petrino era. Um, they got the opportunity to go on to the next level to play in big roles, uh, uh, being able to declare for the NFL draft because the coaching staff got the most out of them. But the reason why I'm a little bit optimistic, Matt, is I find it uh, when you trust your head coach, like I do with Scott Satterfield, you see the production that they get out of guys that aren't theirs. It makes you just very excited when they get the guys who are theirs and they get their own system players in. And we're going to see that this year with guys being able to step up like Amari Bruce Huggins, like Demetrius Cannon, which, by the way, did you see that picture of Devontae Parker with the wide receivers and Demetrius Cannon? Dude looks like DK Metcalf. It was hard not to crack a smile just seeing Devontae back there, but I actually did not notice the muscles on him. I'll have to go back and look at that. If you get a chance to look at the quads on Demetrius Cannon, man, that is DK Metcalf life. Like, it it Mm -hmm. really is. I was like, holy crap, who is that guy? Uh, But, no, there's guys who are going to be moving into new positions at wide receiver. Uh, We got to see a little bit of the future late last year with Jalen Mitchell, Maurice Berkeley, um, a little bit of Hassan Hall, and they're going to work in Trevion Cooley, the four-star freshman running back this year. Um, What what do you think in terms of addition subtracted? What's the biggest loss in your mind? Um, And what's the guy – who is the guy, whether they're on the roster now or they're an incoming player that you think will have the biggest impact um, in terms of stepping up, it, it, you know, it could be a guy like Braden Smith. Now it doesn't have to be a new player, but who do you kind of, who are you kind of trusting to take that next step? I, I think in terms of uh, a player who will have the, an incoming player who will have the biggest impact. I think it's going to be a Mario Huckins Bruce because that, that dude is electric. He could probably contend for the slop spot day one. Cause he looks every bit of his electric and, and agile. It, he, he screams day one starter here. I've cause I don't want to say he's the next Tutu Atwell because obviously, like the, their body composition is a little bit different. But like he's he he's got the wheels. But as far as someone who is currently on the roster, who I think is going to take a step up, I think. I mean, we've we've talked before about my uh, my little football crush on this guy before. You already know where I'm going with this. I I think Maurice Berkeley is going to continue on his momentum before the season ended and take another big jump. Um, he he looks really good in those two games that he started after uh, Javon Hawkins opted out. And it was unfortunate that he had to sit out the, I think the last two or three games with a lower, lower extremity injury or something of that nature. But he, he, I like the way he runs physical. He runs fast. He runs through people. I mean, he, he might not be a master of any one specific thing when it comes to rushing the ball, but he's, he's a Jack of all trades. And if he can do that and when he's got one, and he's got one more year of eligibility left, I'd, I can't wait to see what he looks like. Yeah, it's it's hard not to be excited about the the number of guys that they have and what they all do. It's going to be yeah, you're going to go for more of that that fast running back. Obviously, Javion Hawkins is just he's so unique in the fact that he's small, but he's still a bruiser. But um, I would imagine that the the downhill running game is going to be a little bit uh, bigger part of the offense next year when you have these bigger, more physical backs and Jalen Mitchell, Maurice Berkeley. Uh, I'm really excited about a healthy Hassan Hall, assuming he can take care of the football. Um, I, I think that, the, that his freshman year um, and even in his second season when he was the backup to Javion Hawkins uh, and Scott Satterfield's first year, he showed great bursts. He showed a guy who was you know, completely capable of being the, the, the every down back in an offense. And so you add that, you get Trevion Cooley, who – 
um, is your, you know, you've got two recruiting, you got two running back crushes here. You got Maurice Berkeley and you got Trevion Cooley. Like those are your guys. Um, and I think the damn ball, man, (laughs) you know, I think that they could collectively, um, I don't want to say that they're going to get better running the football because I don't anticipate that to be the case, but I think that they could be equal to what they were last year. Uh, maybe slightly better, you know, obviously the numbers would have been a little bit different had Hawkins stayed, but I think that they're going to be good running the football, not great. Um, and in terms of the receivers and other positions on the field where, you know, you're replacing big names, um, the replacement of, of Dez is going to be a little bit more challenging um, than the, the replacement of Tutu Atwell, because like you said, you have guys like Amari Bruce Huggins. Uh, you've got guys like Shea Wirtz who just transferred in from Georgia Southern, Braden Smith, guys who can do a lot for you over the middle and just become that um, short yardage or even the the big deep ball, um, you know, threat that that those guys have been. But I just find it they're, they're going to have a hard time um, not helping in number one, but I think the bigger challenge will be developing in number two um, and kind of replacing that Des Fitzpatrick role. But I'm really excited about Justin Marshall. I'm really excited about, like I said, Demetrius Cannon. There, there are guys who can step up. It's just going to be like we talked about with Coach Thomas, be, who can build the rapport the fastest with Malik. Maybe Christian Fitzpatrick is a guy that we're talking about next year. Uh, it's just it, the wide receiver position is so weird that it's it's been so full for all of these years, and there's still so much talent at the receiver position, but like it's not the stockpile that it was for all those years. You know? I'm intri- I'm intrigued to see how Shy Wirtz is coming uh, coming from Georgia Southern as a longtime QB. What's he alleged- going to do? That's what I want to know. What's he going to do? What's his role? Because he had one catch for you know one or two catches over his career. Like you're telling me he's going to become a full-time wide receiver all the time. Probably not. That means he's going to be a really unique utility guy. I think they'll put him in some packages where he'll be under center and actually throw the ball because he's too talented to not, because you don't just, just casually accumulate 3000 plus yards of offense over the course of your career. I mean, yeah, he, half of that was running the football, half of that was passing, but I mean, he still throw. He still had plenty of experience throwing the ball. So uh, it it was kind of an interesting move to see him transition to a full time wide receiver. But I mean, if, if if the staff has faith in him, I mean, I've seen his his film. He's he's got he's got some legs on him. He's 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 quick. He's agile. It's I don't know how that'll translate to being a full time receiver. But then again, I've not seen his private workouts. I've not seen like what the grind that he's going into. So he, it it could very well turn out amazing and it i could. have no idea what it, i'm it, talking it, about the worst the worst thing is he's just a unique utility weapon that you can do so many different things with at best he's a star slot receiver like or he's a guy who malik goes down you know knock on wood that that doesn't happen but Wirtz steps in and then you're talking about a guy who just becomes a baller quarterback like we would all like that to happen it's very unlikely that that does happen but he's going to be unique that's for sure they're going to be able to do some things with him um and before we move on let's just talk about malik and the offensive line as they they are together uh, we've, we've talked so much about Malik Cunningham that I think that everyone at this point knows what he has to do. Just don't turn the football over. Take care of it. Get better at your reads. Um, I think the rapport with receivers is going to be extremely important. Finding somebody who he can just dump the ball off to. Who is that guy? That's going to be extremely important for Malik Cunningham to figure out who that is. Uh, but the offensive line is where I want to spend just a little bit of time. We talked about their inability to control the line of scrimmage this season. They get everyone back. They get literally everyone back, but came to George at this point. Um, Robbie Bell working his way back from injury, but they get all their starters back. Their depth is still there. They are absolutely loaded. Do you envision that 2021 is the year where they put it all together and Louisville's offensive line kind of becomes the thing that you talk about with them? Like their running game is really good, but it's because of that offensive line. I think I don't think the offensive line is all of a sudden going to suddenly materialize and be like a top five line in the nation. But I think this is going to, with all the chemistry they've built up now, they've had some extra pieces come in like last year. And now that they've had an entire season to play with them and then an entire whole off season to uh, develop chemistry and camaraderie and all things of that nature. I think this is the year where they finally take that much needed step up that they need, that they've needed to since probably the Charlie strong era and there's fifth there's 15 guys on the roster there's at some point at least half of them have to be able to be able to go and have meaningful game you would hope because we've seen like six of them at this point like yeah we, we only saw the the core unit that we saw last year and then um obviously came to George played a lot but you didn't if it wasn't for COVID Austin Collins wouldn't have played that last game 
Like we would have never seen any of those other guys had it not been for that. So I, you mentioned the depth. If we don't see those guys, at least half of them this year, what are they even doing? Like what are they, what are they, they're just, they're becoming the Bobby Petrino of stockpiling offensive linemen instead of receivers. You know what I'm saying? Like if you have that yep. many guys and that many aren't playing, Somebody somewhere did something wrong in evaluating the talent, but right. I don't think that's going to be the case. So I, I remember Coach Ledford uh, before uh, before we hit Lynn to Atlanta. He said that at some point they're going to try and they had six guys that they trusted any given down, any given like situation, and they were still working to be able to get to the seven and maybe eight. I'm not entirely sure by the time the season ended that they got to seven because I know you had you had your five starters. You had Robbie Bell, Cole Bentley, Caleb Tinder, Donovan. No, because it would have been he mentioned by name Trevor Reed, Kobe Bain, somewhere late in the season when Louisville's offensive line was really struggling. Those guys never saw the field. I mean they didn't go past Cam to George off the bench um until Austin College was forced into action because seven other guys were out. While it was nice to see Cam DeGeorge take as many snaps as he did and be able to plug up some of the holes, it's a catch-22 because at the same time, if he's having to play that many snaps in that many situations as a backup, that, that could potentially indicate that there are potentially deeper underlying problems with the offensive line in terms of depth, execution I don't, I don't know what i want to, what i would put my finger on it specifically but the, the heading into year three and we have 15 off scholarship offensive linemen now on the roster and they can't even get to half where they trust on any given game situation i am not sure how to interpret that exactly that's that's the big thing but again we're going to see because the new offensive line coach is going to come in you hope they're asking their guys to do, you know, the guys to do the same as kind of what they were last year, but obviously things will change. Who knows what that offensive line becomes. We really can't even begin to kind of talk about their identity until we know who the coach is. Um, but still that's an area that was a, a, a big underwhelming issue. I guess I would say like they were right. really, they were really overwhelmed, not underwhelmed, overwhelmed yeah. by just other defenses. I mean, it was just crazy. And to be completely fair, because I don't want to just completely crap on like uh, offensive line recruiting efforts. I mean, we've no, there's uh, some dudes. There's, there's some dudes. There's there's some dudes. One and two. Half of them are still freshmen or redshirt freshmen or incoming freshmen. I mean, they're they're still young guys. I mean, you can't you just can't expect some of these guys to come in and as a freshman contribute immediately and at a high level and consistently do it. This isn't college basketball where you can get a freshman and he can be an impact player on day one. It's a exactly. lot different. It's kind of like the Sam Williamson thing. Like last year, Sam Williamson didn't play a whole lot, not because he wasn't good. It was because there was Jordan Warren and Dwayne Sutton. So, like, it's hard for Ledford to justify putting Kobe Baines on the field when he has Caleb Chandler and, you know, Cole Bentley as experienced offensive interior linemen. So, you know, I understand. Uh, but let's let's talk about the defensive side of the ball now. Um, Louisville really, really improved defensively, jumping up to in the top 20 in passing defense. Um, they were really, really good with with – preventing big plays in terms of through the air late in the season I, i'd say through the back half of the schedule um and then obviously there was struggles with the pass rush coverage was occasionally when you were asking safeties and linebackers to help was a, an issue uh, they just didn't get a ton of push when you look at the defense they, they lose rajay burns russ yeast isaiah hayes marlon character um what do you think is the single most important thing this offseason that they have to do to become better next year I, I think they probably because they're good on the defensive line edges. They've got some solid defensive uh, ends coming in. They've got solid defensive ends on the roster. Period. And then some of these outside backers, they they're not they weren't great at pass rushing, but the potential is there. It'll get better. I think what Louisville needs to have the most jump defensively is having a more consistent or more impactful nose tackle because Jared Goldwire, by all intents and purposes, he had a solid season. But, I mean, with all the chatter that we heard in the offseason, he's going to take this tremendous leap. I mean, I don't want to say that he didn't, but it, it could have been a lot better. Because there, there were several times, I mean, we've talked about it in, in the defensive episode with some of our steep statistical dives. Louisville was good at getting pressure in standard downs, but when it came to clear and cut passing situations, I, I couldn't get pressure at all. And a part of that is being to get pressure right up the middle to force the uh, to force the, uh, the quarterback to scramble at some point out of the pocket and run into some of the guys coming off the edge. So that that's one thing that I'm kind of looking at. I, I want to see their – I don't want to say one person in particular has to make a huge jump. I think it might have to be a nose tackle by committee of sorts and, until someone makes a clear-cut jump to be the bona fide starter like a Malik Clark or a Zach Edwards or someone like that. But yeah. I, I, I want to see – 
more production or more and more pressure coming in that's just straight up the middle. That's a that's a position where I would really like to see them add somebody if there's any more scholarships that open up. I think that nose tackle um it, Malik Clark has not been a guy that's really produced a ton of stats. He's he's played a lot. He's played a lot and he's done a good job. Uh, and Desmond Tell, Henry Bryant, those guys are still really young and trying to kind of figure out where they where they fit in. So I think on the on the front um I, I think that uh they've got to figure out a way uh, to become more disruptful, to allow for more sacks from linebackers and corners. Um, I, I think that they last year they just truly struggled to be able to to penetrate gaps enough to allow for players to be able to get to the quarterback. Um, they improved as the year went on, and Cam talked about it last week. Um, you know, Thurman Gaithers was a guy who got after the quarterback. Uh, you know, Yasir Abdullah really came on strong at the end of the year. So they've got guys, but this this season they've got this offseason they have to figure out a way to cultivate a faster pass rush, and I think it starts with the push of the defensive line. Um, now, when you look at the secondary and who they return, the secondary should be, you know, in terms of the corners, should be elite next year, should be really good, maybe the top in the ACC even, or at the top. Um, Cottrell Clark is a fantastic player, um, should have been first team all ACC this should year. I think he will be this next season. You get back Chandler Jones, who is about as good of a number two as you could ask for, could be a number one in a lot of places. Um Greedy Vance, man, he gets that third spot, that nickel spot. Watch out. That kid is a playmaker. They've got he, other guys back there. He showed a lot of flashes of brilliance uh, d- during the end of that season. Like he he made it uh, made it known that once he d- uh, develops into a – not develops, once he is given and earns a starting spot, he'll be a problem. I think having a one-two punch with the corners with such as uh, Kytrell Clark and Greedy Vance, two guys who have pretty much the same style of play – it's, it's going to be hard uh, for teams uh, for teams to uh, throw against someone when they're in just straight man-to-man coverage. It's going to be difficult. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if this time next year we're talking about Clark being a potential first, second-round NFL draft pick. Uh, I mean, I think he's going to be that good this year. And then you add in, um, you know, you get back Josh Minkins, you bring back Levy Jenkins. Those guys should be plug-and-play starters or at least, you know, compete for high-level roles. Uh, you get Jack Fago back, who is just a steady veteran presence there. And then uh, the big the big talking point of the defense next year is going to be those safeties you bring in amari or uh, not amari huggins bruce um ben perry braylon oliver uh tj quinn there's you know several guys who can really really play who will compete for time and they got to figure that duncan the guy from georgia southern yeah right he's Duncan, right exactly you they've got to figure that out quickly because uh you can have great corners and be able to do great things but if you can't play that one safety high you you know that that one that coverage that they really kind of try to excel in you're they're going to get toasted so you you hope they can figure that out. And plus, it's crazy how much turnover the secondary had, period, because they lost six guys. They lost Isaiah Hayes to the NFL, Martin Carrick to the NFL, Rusty's transferred to K-State, Anthony Johnson transferred to in-state rival, not in-state, in-conference rival Virginia. So that mat- matchup with the Cavs is going to be interesting. Telly Plummer went to UT chat, and then I'm not sure where Chanel Troutman went. And then when they brought in seven guys. They brought in some freshmen and then Kenderick Duncan. So there was a lot of shuffling. So... I, there, there's talent there, obviously. It, it's going to be interesting to see them try and rebuild some of that chemistry and possibly try and earn another top 50, top 20 passing defense. Uh, with your soft J journalistic uh, credentials, do you know if our transfers have arrived on campus yet? Is Brian Hudson, Shea Wirtz, and uh, what you say? Did you call him Kenderick? Is that how you pronounce it? It, that's how it's spelled. Okay. All right. I've been calling him Kendrick. So that's good to know if I, we need to differentiate that. With now, my, it, soft, uh, with my and, soft J journalist credits, <laughs> I didn't realize I'm, if I'm saying it right. But <laughs> if those guys are on campus and are going to go through spring ball, that's huge. I, I, Especially Duncan, man. Like, they I, need I know, to kind of be the leader of that I'm back pretty end. sure a Duncan is. Words, I'm not 100% sure, but he's on the roster. So I, I think he's here. I, I'm pretty sure uh, Hudson is too. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, when you're looking at the rest of the defense, I think it's going to be really interesting to see um, how the the kind of the formation and how they play changes, knowing that they have Monty Montgomery and CJ Avery out there just about exclusively now, not, not having to work in um, Dorian Netheridge. I think that those two guys are fast. There's obviously a lot of improvement needed, but they are fast. They can blitz. They can um, they can't cover a whole lot, but they can in, in small places. And, um, you know, you hope that you can get some guys behind them. Dorian Jones is a guy I would love to see. Um, they've got they've got other pieces there that are really good. And getting Avery back is huge. I think it, it completely Massive. changes the dynamic of this defense because if you lose Burns, you lose Etheridge and Avery, you're talking about replacing your three most productive players over the last five years, four years, you know, which – it's been a, yeah. a lot of bad defenses, but still, they have mm-hmm. been extremely important. 
Yeah, you you would you would lose like that middle portion of the field. Like it would almost be completely new. I don't want to say completely new because obviously there's some veteran guys there. But you would, Louisville would have a clear and present weakness on the defense if you lose all three of those guys. But for me personally, it's going to be interesting to see how Monty Montgomery does um, elevating to what I think could be a full time starter's role because uh, this past season he was great. Oh, he will, he did. He'll definitely be a full time yeah, starter. One hundred percent. And it because this past season when he was inserted, you know what he was doing. He was going after the QB, he was rushing, he was blitzing, whatever he was doing, he was pinning his ears back and he was going to go after he's going to get in the backfield. So, going to a full time starters role, I mean, you can't blitz every time. I mean, this isn't Todd Grantham's uh, defense, but uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how he adjusts to uh, a mindset of hey, I don't have to blitz the QB every time. It, it I, I wonder, I would, I'm interested and intrigued to see how he fares in coverage. I'm, I'm not expecting him to be godly in coverage because i mean that's that's not his niche that's not his game but it's going to be interesting to see how defenses treat him as a full-time starter knowing that he is mainly someone who is trying to get in the backfield yeah i i think that just getting his pin back along with avery um kj cloyd is a guy who i think is going to be really good next year he really was flashing at the end of the season so i'm excited about him at that linebacker spot but um I, in terms of just just quickly do they get better do they get worse or do they stay the same in terms of what we saw last season? I th- I think the defense gets better because they've got it's, they've got a lot. Even though they lost a lot of guys, there's a lot of talent retaining. There's a lot of talent coming in. There's a lot of depth coming in. There's a lot of depth being developed. So I th- I think the defense does get better. The offense, I want to say they get better, but not nearly as much as the defense. I think I don't think Malik's uh, uh, issues with turning the ball over bleed into 2021 as badly as they did it, it's I, I think he might struggle with turning it all over at times I don't but I don't think it's going to be as prevalent if, as it was this season my concern obviously is, is him trying to operate an offense where his top three off options are all gone in Javion Hawkins and then Tutu and Dez so developing that rapport like we talked with uh, coach Thomas with his new with his uh, new starting core of receivers is going to be crucial. How that pans out over spring ball and over summer workouts and fall camp remains to be seen. So, but I do think the offense does take a step forward if for nothing else, for the fact that now heading into year three, but on both sides of the ball, for that matter, this is going to be a roster of more than half of Satterfield's guys. That's interesting. Very interesting. And I'm curious to see, I think that if that's the case, we should be able to see it. Like, I think that you should be able to look at some point, now maybe not early, but at some point you should be able to look and just see a lot more familiarity, a lot more of, you know, kind of the play calling that he did at App State um, and an elevation all around. When you have guys who've been there now that are your guys that know your scheme and only your scheme, there's no overteaching a scheme that they knew in the past at, at the college level, at least. That's mm-hmm. a big deal. And they've got all, all the continuity there to take a step forward. They do lose some big pieces, but when you're a, when you're trying to get to the level of, uh, a Clemson, um, Florida State when they're at their best, not the Florida State now, or a, a Virginia Tech. You're, you're talking about um, in these seasons where you do lose big weapons and big playmakers that when you, ha- when you have those losses, you don't take a step back automatically. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like those programs, the big programs in the country don't. Yeah, they might have a down year compared to what they normally do. But, but um, they keep on ticking. They keep on ticking, and the, the next guy up is just as good as the guy that was there uh, or you know, before them. So um, Louisville has got to be able to um, take advantage of the fact that they do have a lot of experience on their team with those holdovers that are there. I mean, most of the Bobby Petrino holdovers who are left are guys who are impact makers. The, the guys who were kind of meaningless on the roster are gone. They've left or they've, they've done something else. The guys that are on the roster now are the guys that, that matter, that play big roles. Um, and so you want to you want to hope that that combination of leadership um, and experience that there's they're, that they're cultivating an environment where new players can rise. And when you're trying to work in those big pieces that you don't as collectively as a team take a step back. Um, and so that's it. But that's a perfect transition, because let's look at the, the last thing bef- before we kind of wrap the episode up. Let's look at the schedule, which was released this week. We, we've known kind of what I called the meat and bones for several years now. We knew who was going to be on the schedule. We just didn't know when, how, where, and you know exactly how it was all going to play out. Um, you get the season opener against Ole Miss, which um, I, I already have the feeling that Lane Kiffin is going to score 50 points. Like, it's just going to happen. That's, that's what he does. He proved he could do that last year. Um, but mm-hmm. then you get uh, Eastern Kentucky – um, and you get Central Florida, the game that feels like it's been on the schedule for 30 years, and then Kentucky in the non-conference. Um, and when I look at that, 
I, I think that there's an opportunity there to go three and one in the non-conference, but there's equally as much of an opportunity there to go one and three. If you had to pick today, is that a one and three stretch? I know it's, I hate being the, the gas bag predictions because we don't know. We have no idea. But if you had to kind of predict what you expect out of this team uh, and what they can be at their best and at their worst, do you think that that stretch of non-conference is one and three or is it more likely to be three and one? I honestly think it's more likely to be a one and three because I, like you said, Ole Miss, they put up points. That's what they do. under that's what Lane Kiffin does. And I mean, yeah, the, the defense is, is, is good, but it's, it's still not getting to the point where it can hold a, a Lane Kiffin run de, uh, offense to under a reasonable point to where the offense can catch up with it. Uh, EKU easy win. If, if they even remotely struggle with EK, EKU, there are massive problems. Um, I've got a ton of respect for UCF as a program. I mean, I like to book one of them for claiming the 2017 national championship, but I've, I've, I watched a couple of UCF games this past year. Now that they, they are losing their head coach, they are losing their, I know AD doesn't matter right now to this uh, discussion, but they are losing some key pieces. I'm not sure if they are keeping their quarterback Dylan Gabriel. I think he's moving on. Oh, really? That would be I, an interesting I development. Think, I did not know that. I think I can't, I, he might be a, I think he's an upperclassman. Like I said, I, I'm not well versed on that in this. I'm not a UCF expert, but right, right. like I said, the, the couple games of UCFs that I did watch, I was impressed with how they were easily able to go up and down the field. And if, if they can continue that mantra into a 2021, no matter who's coming back, whether it's on the coaching staff or on the roster, I'm not sure Louisville can, can win a shootout right now i'm not sure they can at this point in time especially not in that first game when you're like we talked about you're working in new weapons new wrinkles you your your core i mean malik cunningham will be stepping out onto a football field for the first time in his career think about this for the first time in his career he will be stepping out onto a football field without des fitzpatrick Mm -hmm. the two guys have been you know they've been a staple together they've always played together um and so malik will play without des this year and in the first game of the season uh, against an SEC defense, you're asking him to be able to outscore that Lane Kiffin offense. Good luck. I mean, yeah. it's gonna, I think it'll be competitive, but good luck. That's a tough ask, man. That's a really tough yeah. ask. But, hey, did, would you rather play a, a cupcake right out of the gates or be tested and know what kind of medal you have? I mean, yeah, exactly. yeah, it's not fun to take a loss week one. Right. Don't get me wrong, but at least you know like you, you that's a good – test to hold right out of the gates and know like, Hey, it, it might get better from here on out, but we know what we have to do going forward. And let's also, let's also, let's be like, we got to try to work this balance as Louisville fans to not be one reaction all the way up or one reaction the other way. Like Ole Miss is not, we're not over here talking about Ole Miss as if they're Alabama. Like that's not the case. No. I'm not saying that's the, that the, that's going to be the Ole Miss is not the cream of the crop in the sec. But as I, I wrote for the state of Louisville, man, that, the sec, when it comes to the dudes on the field are just different. Like they're bigger, stronger, faster all the time. Um, and we've seen, we've seen quite frankly, how that works for Louisville. He's not done a great mm-hmm. job against SEC schools. And um, I don't know if they'll beat Kentucky this year. I'll be quite honest yeah, with you. I, I know. know. I mean, we like I to know. I to, hate to, talking about it because it just makes me sad. When did I we know. become the program that loses to Kentucky in football, man? I know. I mean, we, we, uh, we, we poke fun at Kentucky semi often. Well, not on this show, but just in general because of just how oh, we they, will. We haven't, there's hey, not been an ep- a Kentucky episode yet. Yeah. We will. But um, just, yeah, the, uh, I, we, you can get the jokes off of why, what wide receiver would want to go to Kentucky under this offense, but Kentucky does what they do and they do it well. They've got, I mean, they've got a top five, top ten offensive line in college football for the last couple seasons now, mm-hmm. and yeah, people want to poke fun at Kentucky for just running the ball like ninety percent of the time, but if it works, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I let's mean, not act like Sat wouldn't run the ball ninety percent of the time no. if he had that offensive line. No, I would love to see what a Satterfield run Louisville offense would have with an offensive line like that. We think the offensive numbers are crazy now. It'd be ludicrous at that point. It would look like the Andre Ware Houston Cougars against SMU fresh off of their death penalty. (laughs) It would, it would be insane. Yeah. But like, like I said, it, it remains to be seen if, if Louisville will be able to get more consistent pressure up front, we'll be able to do a better job of kind of containing those runs at the line of scrimmage. So, and, and until I see proof that they can do a better job of getting pressure, I'm not sure that I can see Louisville beating Kentucky in 2021. I, I, I just don't because Kentucky, they, like I said, they do what they do and they do it well. 
and what they do well, Louisville traditionally has struggled with. And like we've talked about, it's controlling the line of scrimmage. And until Louisville can match that level, I heard this great stat yesterday on Mark Dennis's show or a couple of days ago when he was talking about this game. Kentucky has 22, 25-ish four-star players. Louisville has four or five. Like the difference in talent Insane. gap has never been wider here. And Sat's got to close that quickly. What, what, That's a big I... part of that. Well, let me tell you, here's the thing about that game. That game is the last game of the season. I don't know what Louisville's record will be going into it. You you hope it's maybe they're going for an eighth win. More likely that they're going for their sixth or seventh win. Um, if they come into that any less than five or six wins, man, I, and he loses to Kentucky, it's it's that off is going to be real long. I'll tell you that there's yep. going to be a lot of unhappy fans. It's um, it's it sucks that, that he it sucks that he quote unquote has to do this, but there's got to be a, he he needs to win over a lot of goodwill with left the fan base, which would happen with the South Carolina stuff. I mean, he made up a lot of it by. He winning did. against Wake Forest in somewhat yeah. decisive fashion and then signing a really good recruiting class. Exactly. But there's there's still fans out there calling him Satter Thorpe or Sunbelt Scott and saying that he he's just doesn't belong at this level, which I have not reached that point yet. I still think no. Satterfield's a great hire. Yeah, I still man. think he's, Satterfield's a great coach for the program. I But I this is a decisive year for him because it now really is. it's in his third year with the program. It's most of his guys. He he signed pretty he signed pretty decent recruiting classes his first couple of years, given what he was inheriting and then his first full recruiting cycle was a really damn good class and then now they're, they're starting to get things going on at least one side of the ball there's slight regression on on the offensive side but i think that'll get get fixed i i, I optimistically think there should be a decent amount of improvement for year three whether or not that actually happens i'm not 100 sure yet because i'm not that bullish on on the schedule on and what their potential win or loss will be, but hell, what do I know? I thought this team was going to Charlotte, <laughs> right? You know, it's there. It's you look at the schedule, and I think that it's you know it's not unfavorable by any means. I think that they could easily. Um, I mean, if you were to tell me a year from now that they've won eight games, looking at the schedule, I would say you know good. That's where they should. That's honestly yeah. how many games they should win. Um, but. There's also the opportunity here for uh, a lot of losses. You know, you talk about the Central Floridas, the Kentuckys, but Florida State can be better this year. Uh, yeah. Wake Forest, that's a game I feel pretty they, comfortable they, they, in. They've always been tricky. It's always been kind of tricky contest with Wake Forest, so it, it could end up being one of those, like, weird trap games. So I, I still think I would still probably take Louisville in that game, but going to Wake Forest, I mean, we saw the the last game at Wake Forest end up being a barn burner, and I'm not sure Louisville's equipped to handle that this time around. Uh, host Virginia. Virginia's always had really good stout defense. Boston College last year, that was a game that Louisville thinks they should have won. I think they should have won that, but of course, turnovers. Um, at NC State, I mean, they were, they were supposed to play NC State, but then COVID hit. Um, NC State was a really surprisingly good team last year. A lot of people didn't think very highly of NC State heading into the 2020 season, and then they, they were able to turn their season relatively around and have a much better season than what people thought they were going to. And then Clemson, no other words needed. Q's should, I don't want to. I would hope that they're not completely be a dumpster fire this time around, but I'm not. I mean, we'll see. And then going to Duke, I, they should win that game, and then we have Kentucky. So yeah, I, I don't. I don't know about a, a win loss record yet. I look at the schedule, and I just. Um, I need to see kind of how the league shakes out, how the transfer portal plays out. I, I honestly don't know. The transfer portal is still going crazy. Right, exactly. And you just never know what, you know, what player could kind of swing the pendulum. I will say now, uh, Boston College, buy your stock in it. Year two, oh, Phil Jerkovich uh, and Jeff Halfley. Jeff Halfley. I, I wrote, this is crazy to say out loud, but I wrote that they're a, they're a dark horse to finish second in the Atlantic division. I really think so. No, they're I believe really he, good. Jeff, Jeff Halfley. Is, Damn I'm, good football coach. I'm really good buddies. With, coach soon. Oh yeah. I'm good buddies with the guy who writes for uh, Boston college in the SI network. And I told him from day one, I think Jeff Halfley is a great hire and he proved that his first year he's, he's worked wonders. I mean, he's already in one year been more productive than Steven. Obviously it was. Yeah. Right. They were, they were pretty good next last year. So I, I think they're going to take a step forward. That's a game. I don't know if Louisville wins, even though it's at home. Um, but there's there's a lot of toss ups on this schedule, and I get it the the fact that I it's just such it's such an interesting season of how all these storylines and players leaving and coming back, and the schedule is just kind of all mixing into this big giant pot. And the 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 biggest thing like is Satterfield just has to win games. He's got mm-hmm. to win games. That's the only I way think, that this relationship is going to go back to being happy I, I, go, go lucky all the way around. I hate to set minimums before the season even starts. Tell I hate to set minimums when the season is two hundred well, some so Let's day. do it. It's, what, it's, it. What is it? What's the minimum for him? What, like what? What do you got to win? They've got to get to a bowl. 
So they, six, they, they have to. I'd say you have to get six wins. If you yeah, don't just, get to a bowl in year three, right. it doesn't matter what coach you are and who you're coaching. If you don't get to a bowl in year three, it's, at some point, not only will the fans start to question the hire, at some of the, the people who act, whose opinions actually matter when it comes to these things will perhaps start to question the hire. Yeah, and I don't think that I I don't think that if they were to go say five and seven, Vince Tyree would fire him. Like I really don't. I don't think that would happen, and I don't think that that would be good for anybody if it did happen. Like you know, we talked about the thing about Louisville again. Louisville fans is they're so quick to forget expectations when success starts, and when success starts to come in, there's no understanding of how to tame it or what it where it came from or why you know there might be some more storylines behind it. And so when you win eight games in year one, um. Even in a year where where ESPN labeled it year zero at Louisville, not even year one, mm-hmm. year zero, and they won eight games, and they come back out the next year, and they only win four, fans completely have forgotten where we just were two years ago. So um, I think that in, in order to please the fan base, he's got to win six games. I would maybe even say seven. Um, but I, I agree. in order to lose his job, if that were to be an option, if that would be something that they talked that that happened, I think that Louisville would have to have a disastrous three and nine, four and seven type year. Uh, but I just there's so many good pieces. There was so much positive positive momentum. I just don't see it happen. But the, but right. where we are now, it's just hard to kind of get an understanding of. Okay, you have a good defense. You know, you've you've lost some pieces. You have a good defense, but what is your offense going to do? Because you've lost everyone that was a playmaker there essentially, you know, to the average ACC fan. They don't know anybody that plays for Louisville anymore. Yeah, except maybe the quarterback, but exactly. But right. After, so his, after his down year this year, I mean, I'm not sure how many fans would know him anymore now. Yeah. And I think going into the year, um, I, I expect when we start talking ACC football, they'll, they'll start talking about it a little bit here in the spring as spring practices and games happen. But when we get into the 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 Augusts and Julys of 2021, and they get Eric McLean and Jordan Cornette and um, EJ Manuel talking football on the ACC Network, I, I guarantee you, you're going to hear a lot of them being like, "Man, Louisville's not going to be very good this year." Like that, they're going to have a lot of questions about Louisville because of how they finished. You know, they won four games last year. They lose Des Fitzpatrick. Two, they lose kind of the big names, and then you're like, "Well, but was the defense fluky?" Was it just one year? So I expect Louisville to be fi- picked to finish low. I really no, do. Maybe, I agree, especially since they think, finished fourth, with, fifth. Uh, I would say about, but somewhere between fourth, or, yeah, fourth or fifth down. Maybe in terms of overall in the league, I would say probably like tenth, eleventh, because not only did Louisville only win four wins and only had three ACC wins, it was in a relatively down year for the ACC. There exactly, were, right. there were a lot of programs that just beat each other up i mean the only one the only ones that even made some sort of leeway like to separate from the back were clemson obviously and then north carolina and notre dame yeah which you know louisville is pretty lucky to not have to face notre dame again to not have to deal with north carolina and when you don't have two of the top three programs in your conference or whatever you want to call notre dame at this point um you know you think that you should be when you're louisville right Louisville fans, mm-hmm. but where Louisville football program should be in 2021, you would think that a lot of these games, when you hear Louisville versus Virginia, oh, Louisville should win that game. Louisville should win that game. But you just don't know with where, uh, for, again, it's a, a, such a weird year of weird combination of working in a bunch of new players and new, uh, you know, the year three is really uh, just a tricky year. And there's a lot of kind of swirling storylines here. Yeah. Uh, combining for either a pleasant season or a dumpster fire. Like, yeah, and, I don't know if we're going to get in between that. I really don't. Yeah, in, in college football, year three is typically a make-or-break year. Now, peop, a lot of people, to use a Rick Patinoism, I can't believe I'm saying this, but like a lot of people like to live in this microwave society where they, they want results and they want it now. So not a lot of coaches even get more than two years now. But I, I think the, the overall average is that you you know you're getting in a head coach and what he brings to the table by the time year three gets here. So th- this – this will be the year that defines the rest of uh, Satterfield's tenure at Louisville. It, 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 it might sound unfair. It might be unfair. It, it might, it probably is unfair, but that's just the nature of college football. That's the nature of the, the situation. Yeah. And he's got an extension on the line. Like if he wants to get an extension, he's got to win football games here. You know, I don't know what his original contract was four or five years, um, but we're at the end of this next season, it will be the end of year three. Um, and depending on if it's a four-year contract or a five-year contract, there's going to be a lot more discussion about an extension. 
Um, and if he just doesn't win games, Jimmy Sexton, be, don't listen to this conversation. <laughs> it's going to be difficult for Jimmy Sexton to walk into Vince Tyree's office if, if Sat has got a five and seven record and say, hey, we want to be paid a little bit more. Uh, so I think there's, there's obviously motivation on everyone's end to go out and win football games here, but it's an extremely important year for Louisville football. Um, and I'm excited to talk about it as we get closer. Um, that's it. That's the end of our, our series here. We have come to the conclusion of uh, the review of 2020 and the look ahead to 2021. Again, uh, be sure to check out that interview with Coach Thomas. Uh, just a, a fascinating um, deep dive, I guess you would say, into what it's like to be a quarterback coach, what to expect from the guy who's going to be leading Malik Cunningham. Uh, but uh, Matt, let's strap in because it's going to be uh, one heck of a, a spring and summer of going back and forth on is Louisville going to be good? Is Louisville going to be bad? And then uh, before you know it, we'll be tailgating hopefully in Atlanta cross. At, the, at the spaceship football stadium, getting ready for some football at, uh, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. <laughs> what? Have you been there? It looks like a spaceship, man. Like, no, it's the craziest I, looking thing. I've... We went there in I've, 2016. No, and I'm laughing because I've I've heard another nickname for that stadium, but it's what do they call it, like it, the butthole or something. It's it's not safe for work. So okay, All I right. won't let the children. All <laughs> oh, those kids out there listening. All right, well, as always, you can find <laughs> us on Twitter at General Wasp for Matt at Jacob Lane 08 uh, on Twitter, and then at the State of Louisville. And be sure to check out stateofLouisville.com. Matt, where they where can they check out your work? They can check me out at si.com slash college slash Louisville. But if you want to check us out on social media, it'll be at Louisville on SI, both on Facebook and on Twitter. Or if you want to follow me for some reason, go to at General Wasp. You get a second plug. I plugged your Twitter handle a few minutes ago. You just had it. General Wasp. Baseball season is coming up, so Matt's going to be busy here, folks. Uh, oh, I'm going to flood y'all's timeline with baseball stuff, and you ain't going to tell me nothing. Yeah, uh, Lord have mercy, help us all. I don't. I, 2020 was rough enough. I don't need more baseball content. I'll tell you that. You, you, uh, you, but you, be sure to check <laughs> out first the first three parts of the series as we dive into 2020. Uh, thanks again to Cameron Teague, Keith Wynn, Coach Thomas uh, for joining us along the way. And uh, stay tuned. We've got some good things in store for this podcast, and we're not done yet. So we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks for tuning in. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.